I don't know how many of you are, are, are movie watchers. I think during COVID, we've watched a lot more of movies than ever before. Uh, one of my favorite movies is one called Blood Diamond. Any of you ever see that one? Blood Diamond is a, is a film which uh, is set in the brutal civil war of Sierra Leone, a, a country in West Africa that went through a terrible time of heartache and bloodshed in 1999 and following. Uh, one of the greatest horrors of that war was its effect on children, like war does in so many parts of our world even to this day. But in that particular country, warlords routinely uh, kidnapped little boys from their homes. They would transform these kids into conscienceless killers. They would turn these innocent kids into hardened, brutal warriors. Or they would make them slave workers in the mines that produced what we now call conflict diamonds, diamonds that are the result of these war-torn conflicts. Well, in this particular film, one of these stolen and disfigured children is a boy named Dia, who is played by South African actor Kagiso Kuipers. Dia, when we meet him, is now a teenager. He was a little boy when he got stolen from his home, but now he's grown up, he's a teenager, and he is a brainwashed soldier of the most uh, hardened kind. In a climactic scene, a diamond smuggler named Danny from the United States, he's played by Leonardo DiCaprio in the film, and a local mente fisherman named Solomon have just discovered this priceless pink diamond. They've just uncovered this diamond of incredible worth. And in this moment, Dia suddenly comes upon them as they are digging the diamond up and recognizing what this particular gem will mean to his overseers, his masters, Dia turns his gun towards Danny and he prepares to kill him. He's about to fire. It is then that the fisherman that's with Danny, uh, a, uh, the, in the character in the movie is named Solomon, he's portrayed by the magnificent actor uh, Jimon Hunsu, it's at this moment that Solomon looks up and gazing deep into the eyes of this young killer, Solomon recognizes the fading flicker of none other than his own long lost son. And he says, Dia, what are you doing? And the boy now swings around and he turns the gun on Solomon, suddenly looking confused. Look at me. What are you doing? Says Solomon again. You are Diavandi of the proud Mende tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer and school. And Solomon now begins to take steps towards Dia, as the child is increasingly looking agitated, worked up, confused. Solomon says, your, your mother, she loves you so much. She waits by the fire for you. She is making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister Nianda and the new baby. And tears are now starting to stream down the cheeks of Solomon 
as he talks to the boy. He goes on. The cows wait for you, Dia, as does Babu, the wild dog, who minds no one but you. And tears now start to flow down the cheeks of the face of Dia as well. I know they made you do bad things, but you are not a bad boy. I am your father who loves you, and you will come home with me, and you will be my son again. And miraculously, Dia lays down his gun as his father steps forward and takes him in his arms. Do you recognize this story? I know, I, I, I recognize some echoes of it. It sounds so much like a story that Jesus once told about a lost boy who had wandered so far from home, who had, who had become so confused and so disfigured and so distorted, he was actually eating the, the food of pigs just to survive. He'd become a pig in a sense himself until he finally came to his senses and, and came home. I recognize echoes in this story of my own story. And I want to suggest that maybe this is our story. Every person that you work with or you live with or you go to school with or that you see in church or out in the community, on the street, on the sports field, all of us are in some way a little bit like this dia. We've all been taken, the biblical story suggests, all been taken from what was once a glorious home, a life with God and his family in the beginning, and bit by bit, degree by degree, we have had our wills bent, disfigured by the influence of harsh masters that do not care for us, that that are working simply to use us and forgetting our origins, we are progressively trained by them to chase after things that would never have been our original appetites and to do things that were not our original destiny. And we have now become obsessed with these things that have been given a ridiculous value that they do not really actually have in themselves. So desperate in our insecurity, we learn to jockey for rank and position. We just work all the time trying to be heard, to be recognized, trying to prove ourselves worthy and growing increasingly mistrustful and hardened towards the people around us. A brutal competition for survival, for status, for recognition. 
Most of the time, we don't even recognize what we're doing. We don't see how stupid or savage the things we say and do to each other online, in person, are so often. We don't realize how damaged we are. We could always name somebody else who is harder, who is more hurtful than we are, but in a sense, we are all victims and all perpetrators in the same civil war. And that war rages now in every land, not just in West Africa. That war between people, that fighting over trinkets and things that are not really of ultimate value, that war goes on in our land. It's hot and fierce in our land today, this war. And then for some of us, perhaps, As for Dia, a familiar but nearly forgotten voice finally penetrates our confusion. Like a shadow at first, and then like the glorious goodness that he is, God comes to us. He gets through to us. He helps us to remember who we are and who he is. And we realize that we can come home. We see that the Father's love is larger than all of our lacks, that his forgiveness is greater than all of our failures, that his capacity to restore us is vastly more powerful than anything this world will do to us. I have said it in this series so often, there is a grace greater than the gravity of life and it is reaching out for every one of us for this whole world because it remembers who we are and wants us to remember. And sometimes we finally wake up to this voice. We, we understand that we are truly welcome in the Father's arms, not because of how good and beautiful we are, but because of how good and beautiful He is. And in the words of St. John, we see how great is the love the Father has lavished onto us that we should be called the children of God, for that is who we are. No one can take it away from you. This is who you are. But is that who you are? For seven weeks now, we've been thinking and talking a whole lot about who and what we are in our relationships with other people. But it is this relationship with the Heavenly Father that is truly the most important one. It's the one that conditions the way we do all of the other relationships of our life. All of the practical suggestions that I and other uh, teachers in this series have been making over this time, these things, these ideas will just be techniques. They will not bring about the actual transformation of our relationships. If those tools are not motivated and driven by a different kind of heart, I have found for myself in my own journey that it's only as the life and the love of the Father himself invade my heart and then overflow that heart, having changed that heart, that there 
are significant changes in the other relationships in my life. This is why I would be failing, I think, in my role as pastor and in my love for all of you if I did not dare to ask every one of you within the sound of my voice, have you come home to God? Have you truly come home to your heavenly Father? I do not mean, have you ever heard of God? I do not mean, do you ever think of God? I do not mean, do you often speak of God? I do not mean, have you ever considered yourself his child in the sense that everybody was made by him and everybody was? I mean, is it you, are you confident that it is towards you that God is looking especially intently right now with a look of recognition recognition and hope because you've been more lost than you perhaps have been able to see? Is it to you that he may be saying today, I am your father who loves you with a lavish love, dia. Is it to you he's saying these things? You are the lost diamond for which I have been searching. You are the treasure that I want to take in my hands and clean up and polish and truly lift up. It is you that I want to have come home and live as my child in the fullest sense again. What do you say to this invitation? I pray that your answer is simply this. Yes, Father. Oh, yes, Father. For if it is your answer, then you can know today with absolute assurance that you now are in the deepest and most significant and most important sense possible a child of God the child of God, in a way that will transform everything else about your life. If you want to experience that and would like help with it, speak to me after the service today or talk to one of the other pastors, to, to Pastor Tara Beth or someone else. Write us during the, the week. Let us know that you have taken that step. Mention it in the chat today to one of the hosts that you are taking that step to come home to the arms of God because we would love to personally celebrate that with you and welcome you and help you find some important next steps. In our scripture lesson for today, the Apostle John says that God's ultimate intention is to transform his children's character. His intention is not to just make us a little nicer people. His intention is to make us like him. His, his purpose is to give us a heart just like his heart, to enable us to love with the lavish kind of love with which he loves. This process is one of sanctification, theologians have said, which really means of purification, of a renewal of who we are from the inside out. 
And because this purification is a slow process, and, and at least for me, it's been a difficult process, some people will tend to look at you and me and conclude that really being a child of God in the sense that Christians talk about makes no real difference. But the reason that the world does not know us is that it does not know him, says John. The world doesn't yet get what God has planned for his children. Now we are children of God, writes John. But what we will be, what God will do in us and through us, has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, writes John, when he comes again and we stand before him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Truthfully, in this life, most of us only catch a glimpse of God. We're outside someplace, we see the miracle of creation, we're awed for a moment. Something strikes us as we're reading the scriptures or a preacher says something and we catch kind of a glimpse of God. But it's almost like peering through the blinds. There's a little bit of light that hits us, a little bit that we can see through. Now we see but a poor reflection of him as in a mirror, writes the Apostle Paul. But one day God's children will get to see him face to face. The blinds will be drawn up, will be bathed in the stunning glory of all that he is. And it will alter everything about us. Theologians call this the process of glorification. You and I will be as lavishly loving as God himself already is and we will see and treat every other life we meet in a, in a, in a totally, purely loving way. And sometimes people start to love more like that even now. Fred Craddock is a famous professor of preaching at the Candler School of Theology in Emory University in Atlanta, where my niece attends school. And uh, Craddock tells the story of traveling through rural Tennessee one time and stopping at a, a little roadside diner. As Craddock sat there uh, drinking his coffee and waiting for his food to be brought over, um, an older man came into the uh, diner. He uh, saw that there was one other person, Craddock, sitting there, and he shuffled on over with a newspaper underneath his arm and struck up a conversation. And as he began to talk to uh, Fred Craddock um, and discovered that Craddock was a preacher, he sat down uninvited. <laughs> and began to tell him uh, what he said was a preacher story. Well, it turns out that this old geezer had grown up as an illegitimate child in small-town Tennessee. He had never met his father. He never even knew his father's name. He's not sure that his mom even was sure who his father was. And in that era, particularly in the Old South, 
such uncertain parentage had consequences on a kid. It meant a, a constant round of humiliations and jibes and rejection and, and isolation and scorn. And one day, this little boy who had been very much, in a sense, disfigured by that experience, he's now a teenager, he's about the age of Dia in the earlier story I told, and he hears that a famous revivalist tent preacher has come to town. And, and people are murmuring and talking all about this person coming. And he feels this wistfulness. He knows he couldn't go to any event where this was happening because he would be scorned. He was not a good person in the eyes of the good people and he would not be accepted in that uh, company without great ridicule and, 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 and painful kind of attention. But as the revival goes on over a day or so and more and more of the, of the talk of, of the amazing messages that this preacher is giving begin to pass around the village, he decides he's going to take a risk. And so one night uh, during the meeting, he, he, he waits for a while for everybody to be inside and then he sneaks in and he sits down in the back row and he listens. And oh, how he listens like a parched soul, desperate for water, he listens. And the preacher's message is about a God who so loved even the unlovable that he gave up his life for them on a cross. That he traveled across eternity to find just such people. And this message was like honey to the heart of this boy. And so he began to come night after night. What he would do is he'd come in after it started and, and as the last song was being sung, he'd sneak out again so that nobody saw him. And, and night after night, he found himself filled with this amazing sense of this God's love until one night, the boy was so deeply moved that he forgot to leave during the last hymn. And, and, and the song ended, and the boy was still sitting there in reverie, in a sense, and he kind of startled to realize what was going on because people had poured out into the aisles now and had blocked his escape. And so faking a fit of coughing so that his face would not be recognized. He put his head down and he kind of fought his way through the crowd and he had just reached the door, the exit, and was about out. He was going to escape when the weight of a hand fell on his shoulder and slowly spun him around. And for a moment, the touch felt deeply welcome. It was warm. And firm. It was the kind of touch he had never felt in his life. And then as the hand spun him around, another feeling flooded over him as he looked up in horror. Because the hand was attached to the arm, attached to the shoulder of none other than the revival preacher himself. Wait a minute said the man. Don't I know you? I think I know your family, he said. 
And the boy's heart sunk in horror as he realized that either the preacher knew the kind of kid he was or else he had made a terrible mistake that was soon to be discovered as the others explained who he really was. And the boy's heart just rose in agony as he thought of the humiliation about to unfold. No, I don't think you do know me, said the boy meekly. No, yes, I am sure of it now, said the preacher. Why, I can see the family resemblance. I know your father. And the boy wanted to die. But the tall man went on. Why, why, I can see it. You're, 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 you're God's boy, aren't you? Yes, I can see the resemblance. And I can tell you're going to grow up to be a lot like him. The old man in the diner wiped the tears from his own eyes as he said, Mr. Craddock, you have no idea the difference those words have made in my life. And with that, the elderly man tucked his newspaper under his arm, got up, spun around, and walked out of the diner. Craddock just sat there, stunned, as the waitress came over to pour him a little more coffee, and she said, I saw you talking to that old gent. Uh, did he by any chance tell you who he was? And Craddock, still in a daze, just shook his head and said, no, he didn't. He didn't. But in some sense, I suppose he told me more. And the waitress said, well, that gentleman was Ben Hooper, two times governor of the state of Tennessee. I want to thank you as I close today for coming to this revival. I want to say thank you for sitting so patiently as the preacher has gone on and on. But I want to share one last thought with you as you prepare to go on your way this day. As you leave this place, you are going out into a pretty wild world. You're going out into a very heated world, a very conflicted world, the kind of world they make movies about. You're going to meet all kinds of people out there where you go. You'll meet the young and the old, the put together and the, and the falling apart. You'll run into the angry people and the sad people, the fast and the slow people, the easy to like and the very hard to love people. You'll, you'll find these people in your neighborhood. You'll meet them in your home. You'll find them at school, in your church, out in your community. They'll be on the train. They'll be behind the counter they might even be alongside of you today in this place. Here's my encouragement. Be remarkably kind to them. Be remarkably gentle to them. Be remarkably loving toward them. 
For as scripture observes and Plato, the philosopher, concurs, everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. They're caught up in the great civil and spiritual war that rages in every corner of our world this day. And if the Bible is right, and I believe that it is, then one day you are going to see these people differently. You are going to see them through renewed eyes. You're going to see them through the eyes of the lavish love that you have become because you're in God's presence. And you will know surely then what it would be so good if more people knew right now that these people that you're meeting did not need more shame. They did not need more humiliation. They did not need to be ignored They did not need to be tolerated. They did not need more crushing demands and crazy expectations of perfection. They did not need more reasons to return to the cruel masters they've been serving for far too long. What people need right now is a truly remarkable kind of love. They need someone who remembers the home from which they have come and helps them find their way back there. They need someone far less concerned with the dust ball they might look like than with the diamond they are and could become in more visible measure. They need someone who says to you, I know who you are, Dia. And I know who you will become. Fellow children of God, our Heavenly Father, when we stand in His presence fully and finally one day, we will all love like He does. So my question to you is, why not start right now? Amen.